coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada. This is The Tracy Austin Show, the program that covers paranormal phenomenon, the supernatural, the highly strange, from the far corners of the world, with three-time Telly Award winner TV host, researcher, and author, Tracy Austin. And now, leading tonight's program, here's Tracy. Welcome to tonight's show and thank you for joining me here in the world's capital of entertainment, Las Vegas, of course, and you're in the right place at the right time. This is the Tracy Austin Show and I'm Tracy Austin. Tonight, we're exploring the subject of surviving death and talking to my special guest, Mike Anthony, whose book, Love Dad, How My Father Died, then told me he didn't was recently featured in the newly released Netflix documentary, Surviving Death. And in that documentary, it explores questions that have been contemplated throughout time. What does it mean to die? And is death the end of our existence? We'll also talk a little bit about my new book, I Survived Beyond and Back, True Accounts of Near-Death Experiences from Those Who Have Glimpsed the Afterlife and the Communication that I've actually had with my dad since he first surprised me from the other side in April of 2018. And I have to tell you, it's been an absolutely mind-blowing experience with nonstop communication for three whole years. Now, you might not believe that, but it is the absolute truth. But first, let me tell you a little bit about my guest for tonight, Mike Anthony. Now, he's, um, he's, being a professional actor and a bartender at Hamilton's in New York. And he graduated from Wayne State University with a Master of Arts degree in theatre. Beyond his life in theatre, Mike's journey took an unexpected turn when his dad passed away tragically, leading him down a remarkable path of discovery. And this personal experience completely shifted Mike's understanding of how the universe works. Now he spends his time investigating and writing about various lines of evidence suggesting we are much more than the physical body that we inhabit. And a portion of Mike's story is featured in the 2021 Netflix series Surviving Death. Mike is also the author of Life at Hamilton, which is a collection of stories chronicling his time bartending there and you can find out more about mike at his website mikeanthony.com and we'll be taking your calls tonight as well during the last hour of the show around about the last 30 minutes of the show so please write down this number uh which is 85 kgra live 855-472-5483 and i'll repeat that throughout the show so Let's meet my guest tonight, Mike Anthony. There you are, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well, Tracy. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for asking, Mike. And it's uh, it's such a pleasure to have you with us tonight for the next two hours. So thank you for spending this time with us and, and giving up your Sunday night. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Um, let me ask you this, Mike. Before we talk about your experience of communication with your your lovely dad, 
on the other side. Um, let's talk about your career for a moment here, because you've had quite the versatile career, both acting and bartending. Um, and I, I have this image in my head of Tom Cruise in the movie Cocktail, you know, oh. ju- juggling all those bottles around um, and having fun doing it. So well, um, is that pretty much how it is was for you? I don't want to destroy this image that you have in your <laughs> mind. Uh, it was slightly... I don't exactly resemble Tom Cruise, A, and B. No, I'm rather clumsy behind the bar. So there's not a whole lot of that happening. Uh, bartending was a job that I took uh, as uh, most, you know, most people in in the acting world uh, end up taking day jobs. And bartending at a Broadway theater was the, the job that I took that I assumed I'd have for a few months until uh, Tom Cruise like my acting career took off and then 14 <laughs> years later I, you know I blinked and I was still uh, behind the bar oh my goodness but listen you've had great fun doing that and meeting meeting lots of fabulous people I'm sure oh yeah would not change a thing I mean it's been an extraordinary experience have um, have any celebrities actually come into Hamilton's that you've you've served? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's Hamilton, the show that I Hamilton. bartend at. Not not a right. it's not a bar. Yeah, right. uh, and every, you know, especially during the first year of the show, uh, just everybody, everybody was coming to see it, and I, I I've met people that. Uh, I never would have imagined. You know, Tom Cruise came to see the show. Really? Everyone uh, at one point or another was there. So that's what the first book, Like Life at Hamilton, is about. It's a collection of uh, stories of the experiences that I've had there. Right. Got it. So tell us a little bit about your theater life then. Because you studied at Wayne State University as an actor, didn't you? I did. That's I went to grad. That's where I went to grad school. Uh, yeah, acting is something I initially had planned on being a science teacher. That's what I went to college for initially. I had this amazing. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had an amazing science teacher growing up in middle school, and then he happened to move to the high school uh, as well when I moved to high school. So I had him for about five years, Mr. Sawyer, uh, and he was just you know the teacher that everyone wanted to have. And I decided I was going to be uh, do what I could to be another Mr. Sawyer. So that's what I went to college to study. Uh, I'd always done theater uh, since early on in high school. So even when I went to college, I was still doing that kind of in the background. And then I was minoring in theater. And eventually my acting professor said, you know, listen, if you really want to do this, if your heart is really, this is really where your heart is, you've just got to jump in completely. Don't have a plan B which I do not suggest is necessarily the best advice and not, not advice you'll often get from people. You almost always hear people say, well, maybe have a fallback plan just in case. But this professor of mine, who was also an amazing man, amazingly inspiring guy, said, you just got to go for it. So I ended up uh, uh, majoring in theater instead, uh, switching to theater in the last year of college. Uh, so that's how, that's how I became an actor. And then I've been doing you know, small uh, uh, regional theater work uh, since then. That's fantastic. And, you know, I never had a plan B either. I just went straight for it. I trained as a musician. I trained as a classical concert pianist. I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. Um, mm-hmm. I have done some acting myself. and um, But it was really more of the music line, the music road I went down until one fine day in 1987, I had my very first UFO sighting, which changed my life completely. Oh, 
Yes, and I went a com- down a completely different path. But, wow. Uh, Yes, and I've had many sightings since. So I've had quite the paranormal life, Mike. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Well, I'll tell you, this guy, Mr. Sawyer, this amazing teacher, uh, he started a club when we were in high school called the Phenomenology Club, uh, which I was a co-founder of. And so as you can imagine, I was a very popular kid in high school, the co-founder of the Phenomenology Club, where after school on Wednesdays, we would uh, explore things like UFOs and the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and all of that. So the whole UFO thing has always been a very large interest of mine as well. It's a fascinating subject, isn't it? It sure is. And it's getting a lot of press now, thanks to yes, my good is. friend, uh, Leslie Kane, uh, who, right. who helped to break the story, the Pentagon story. And there's more, you know, I think there's more to come uh, in that regard. I have to say, I think I'm with you there 100%. Lots, lots of things over the last few weeks have been coming out. And uh, I recently read something about the Navy that had seen uh, triangular UFOs. Yes, new video, so, yeah. That's right, new video. So it's it's fascinating stuff, and we're not alone. We've never have been alone, and we never will be alone. So yeah. And talking of which, uh, never being alone, um, life on the other side, um, quite an intriguing topic all by itself, and the subject of losing a loved one as you know, is absolutely devastating. You have lost your dad. Um, That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I've lost my dad. And there's no question that it's absolutely devastating for sure. But when they come back in spirit and they tell you that they're okay and that they survived beyond the physical body, wow. I mean, that's quite an extraordinary thing. And it totally, totally changes your life and your belief forever, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. I, I mean, if something happens that uh, proves to you that 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 they genuinely do still exist in some way, which obviously happened to me. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely changes everything. That's right. Um, like I said, not only happened to me, it happened to you and uh, you lost your father unexpectedly. So let's let's talk about your dad for a moment here, Mike, and how he lost his his physical life. What exactly happened? When did this happen and and how did it happen? It happened in 2011. uh, So uh, just coming up on 10 years ago. And it was a complete, from our perspective, out of the blue shock. Uh, My dad was a very healthy guy. uh, uh, You know, all outward appearances would tell you that he was very healthy, uh, you know, just in great shape. Uh, 60, a very young 60. He was a uh, a delivery driver for FedEx, this very active job. Uh, You know, we thought that if anyone in my family had a shot, at 100, it was going to be my dad. So uh, when he passed, it was a complete and utter um, out of nowhere shock. And uh, it was just something very fast. We, we don't know what it is. We No autopsy was ever done. So uh, we just were assuming it was a cardiac event of some kind or an aneurysm, something very quick. He, he and I were together on a Monday night watching uh, the Monday night football game together. And then uh, he left the house, uh, drove around the corner to his house, which is about five minutes away, uh, walked inside and died. He still had his keys in his hands. So something very fast. Wow. Very shocking. Very shocking for you to uh, discover that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and I'm very young. I mean, 60 is extremely young. Yeah. Young and healthy. Yeah. Very, very surprising. Great physical shape. And obviously 
the last person in in your life that you'd ever ever have a suspected would have lost their life. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah. Not only that, he was also, my dad and I were incredibly close. My family was incredibly close. My dad was an extraordinary human being, just not an average guy uh, in terms of his, uh, his loving nature. He, he was just, just an extraordinary human being. And he would have been the person, he was the guy you went to if there was anything wrong in your life, no matter what was wrong. My dad had this energy about him that all you had to do is be in a room with him. He didn't even have to speak. You just had to be in a room with him and, and, and you'd feel better. So not only did we lose my dad, you know, we lost the guy, the person we would have needed to get us through a situation like that. Right. So your dad was the, uh, the go-to guy. Yes, very much. Very so. much so. Yeah. And you see with my dad, my dad was 83 when my dad passed. And although, you know, my dad was getting up there in, in years, um, I thought my dad would easily, easily have another 10 years of his life left because he was also in, you know, physically good shape, even though he was 83. But my dad had kidney issues. Mm. And, um, but again, it doesn't really matter the age and what happened because it's never easy and you're never prepared. Never. It never easy. I mean, I, I've had friends uh, not long after my dad died, my mom's best friend passed. She she had uh, a tumor and it went on for about a year. Uh, so she had the opposite situation where, where she knew she was leaving us and everyone had a year to say their goodbyes. That was in no way easier than losing my dad shockingly. They're both hard in their own ways. Uh, yeah, there's no no real good way uh, to lose someone. And, I, and what I always off, also say to people that no matter how certain we are that life goes on, and I completely 100% am at this point, which we'll get to, uh, but no matter how sure we are, the physical loss is still a trauma nonetheless. It's still a jarring trauma, and it's one of the most difficult things about being a human being. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. I used to, uh, when I used to talk with my parents on Skype, because um, they, they were in the UK, and as you can tell from my accent, I'm British. So had, had I not used, noticed. I didn't notice that, no. <laughs> um, I had uh, used to Skype with them while they were in the UK, and I used to say to them, you know, I know you don't want to talk about this, but whoever passes first, will you please, 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 Make sure you come back and tell me that you're okay in some way. Try and find some way of doing that because I always believed and always knew there was something beyond this physical life. Well, my dad, in particular, Mike, would kind of roll his eyes, look away, and he'd say, Okay, Tracy, like he was trying to appease me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my dad was a big skeptic, by the way. My parents were big skeptics. My mom's still alive, she's a skeptic. My sister's a skeptic. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was a big skeptic and now I know that that's all changed for my dad. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> There's nothing like death to change, no nothing like surviving death to change your mind about that's the right. possibility. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So how did your dad feel about life after death? Was he a believer? It was not something that we talked about. I would say that my dad, he had this very spiritual essence about him, as I was saying, just this amazingly loving guy, but he was not a religious guy at all. And it was not something we talked about. Life after death was not something that we discussed. Um, but I'll tell you this, the night that he died, approximately actually about 20 minutes before he died, uh, he and I were having a conversation about his mom. Uh, 
who was in her 90s. Another reason we thought my dad had these incredible genes that were going to keep him going for a long time is that his mom uh, lived into her early 90s and she was incredibly uh, sharp that whole time. Only in the last couple of years of her life, towards her mid and mid 90s, did, did her um, mental faculties start to decline. And she was in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. And he and I were talking about that that night. She had always really loved life and wanted to hold on to life. And I think she was afraid of, of dying. And I said to my dad that night, you know, well, in, in some ways, Alzheimer's, as hard as it is, obviously, for the people, uh, the families who go through it, you know, very difficult to have your mom uh, not know who you are anymore, obviously. So I'm not diminishing that. But uh, for the people who have it themselves, I said to him, you know, it could be seen as something of a blessing because she's not uh, as she doesn't seem as afraid now of the idea of dying. She's actually seems happier right now, even though she's not entirely sure who we are all the time when we walk into that room. She's always in a pretty good mood. Um, you know, so in some ways, it's a blessing. She's not as afraid of dying anymore. And he looked at me and said, oh, I'm not afraid to die which was just an odd thing. We weren't talking about him. We were talking about his mom, you know? Uh, so I have the very strange experience of having my father having said to me about 20 minutes before he died, uh, I'm not afraid to die. So th that that's wow. all that I know. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what his beliefs were, um, but I do know he said he was not afraid of whatever was coming after. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty amazing. And I'll, I'll say... Since then, uh, you know, I, 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 and what we can get into the story, that, but I, I've seen me, lots of mediums, obviously, since then. That's part of the story. And they have said to me, after confirming that he died in this very quick way and, and all of that, they've said, um, you know, your dad is really good at this form of communication. Um, you know, the, the, I had a medium say to me, it doesn't matter what medium you go to. It doesn't matter how bad they are. Uh, your dad is going to be able to get through, uh, get through to them. He's just really good at this. He has this very powerful energy. And one of them said, and one of the reasons is when he died, your dad must not have been a very religious man because he had no expectations about what was quote unquote supposed to happen when you died. So hmm. when he came out of his body and he found himself still aware, but outside of his body, um, he wasn't upset about what he did or did not see because he didn't have great expectations about it. So he just accepted that he was still here. Uh, and that is what allowed him to start instantly getting these messages to us because it started immediately these things that started to happen in our lives. Um, so yeah, I, you know, now that's, I, who knows if that's actually true. That's something science can't test, obviously, but right. according to some mediums, uh, my dad's lack of expectation in his case sort of helped him acclimate to his new, uh, surroundings. Right. That's quite, uh, that's quite something to hear. Um, you have put together this book, Love Dad, uh, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. Now, um, how long ago did you write this book? Uh, just last year. I've, okay. I've, so I've been doing, uh, it's the culmination of the last really 10 years worth of um, research and experiences. So did, did you believe in, in life after death before you lost your dad then? Yeah, I, I think believe is the right word to use. Um, I've always felt, as much as I've always loved science, I've also always felt that the, that we are more than our bodies. And it was my sense, even from very young, um, that there are probably aspects of reality that our science instruments 
are not sensitive enough to reach and may never be sensitive enough to reach and measure. Um, I've always felt some kind of a connection to the universe, to the to God, you know, whatever word you want to use. Again, I'm not, I would not call myself a religious person. I, this was just my natural sense of things from the time that I was very young, that we're all connected in this way. I, ha I was a very um, empathetic kid, you know, maybe even a little bit empathic in that I could, uh, mm -hmm. I had like, I had real trouble, for instance, if another kid was making fun of a, somebody on the playground or something, like seeing people get hurt or hurt each other really bothered me. Um, and because of that, I've always felt like this connection to other human beings. And I, I think that then I extrapolated that out to a uh, connection with whatever this whole thing is uh, that we're in together. But uh, that vague sense that life goes on when my dad suddenly passed was no longer enough. And suddenly I was being crushed absolutely like a house was being dropped on me uh hearing my professors from college their lectures about mm -hmm. the brain and psychology and and the illusion of self because of course the the mainstream materialist scientific paradigm the one that you're going to hear about if you go to most any mainstream university here in this country uh, mm -hmm. will tell you that there is absolutely no such thing as life after death that what we think of as ourselves uh is 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 an illusion created by the brain uh and it's chemical reactions that are happening in the brain that create this you know trillions of reactions that create this illusion and once the brain stops receiving oxygen and those reactions uh, stop happening. Mm -hmm. So too does the sense of self go away and everything that I thought of as my dad is gone forever, period, right? That's what my biology professors would say. And when he passed away, that was all I could think about. And and it was I, it threw me into what I would call a full-blown uh, existential crisis, spiritual crisis, thinking if someone as wonderful and amazing as my father could suddenly disappear, like he'd never even walked on the planet, mm -hmm. I was really having a hard time uh, understanding what the point to me walking out the door and accomplishing anything could possibly be if right. we're just this blip in the infinite mm -hmm. sea of time and space of the universe. Right. And it's changing. Science is changing. Science is believing different things now, which we'll we'll talk about during the show. Um, how did you cope with your dad's funeral? Oh, that was weird. I, I tell the story in the book about seeing my dad in the coffin for the first time, and it was just the strangest sight of my life. Um, I couldn't – the scientific part of me was thinking, you know, if I had a microscope with me right now and I looked at my dad's body under it, it would look exactly the same right now as it did a couple of days ago, right? The very mm -hmm. same protons and neutrons and electrons. And as far as science currently tells us, that's all that we there. That's all that there is. And they're made up of smaller things like quarks and whatever. But uh, protons, neutrons, electrons, that's all you got. Those are the paints that the universe has to create with. And that's it. And my dad was still those same protons and neutrons and electrons. And yet whatever was in that coffin was so not my dad you know it was just not him that was like a just this collection of carbon molecule at, molecules and atoms and um so i very quickly started to think there's got to be something that gave my dad 
whatever it was that made him him that is not there anymore. There's got to be something that science has not detected yet. It cannot simply be the beating of a heart or the stoppage of that that could make such an enormous difference. So, yeah. And then, you know, putting seeing him buried. I mean, it was just as I said, it's a traumatic, uh, bizarre experience. It really is. It really is. How soon did your dad start to communicate with you after he passed? Right away. Uh, So I think it was the day after we found his body. Um, we, my sister and I were in his house going through his things. My dad was a very disorganized guy. Uh, and he kept notebooks worth of like, of, of handwritten notes, uh, n- completely just piles, stacks, disorganized. And in one of them, we found a little piece of paper. It was like a two inch piece of paper that said, believe, tell Jen, Jen is my sister's name. Uh, believe, tell Jen. That's all that it said on this little scrap of paper that he had ripped off from a larger uh, piece. We had no idea what that could mean. Uh, and then like an hour, an hour later, an hour further down in the pile, we find another little scrap of paper that says, believe a country song. So we put it together that obviously my dad had uh, heard this song, believe some country song, and he had meant to tell my sister about it, but he never got around to doing that. Now, my dad always communicated to us through music. It was a big part of his life as, um, he was not someone who was very flowery in his language. You know, my dad's love was always all about, um, his actions and just, just sort of who he was. It, he was, he was very quiet, the most humble person I'd ever met. Uh, and he just, he didn't speak a lot, um, a lot of this stuff. A lot of it was shown in other ways. And one of the ways was through music. So I have this memory of being maybe five or six or something. And my dad uh, put us in the car, my sister and I, and he ha- turned on a Carol King song, Child of Mine. And he said, I know I want you to listen to these words. This is how I feel about you. Um, and you know, so that, that's always, music has always been a big part of his communication. So we were standing in his office that day, heartbroken that he had never gotten around to telling my sister about the song. And of course, Jen and I are, you know, weeping now the next day, um, or I guess it was two days later, whenever the, the wake was happening, my mom decided she wanted to have music playing in the background at the wake. So we were at my mom's house putting a playlist together. And I said, oh, you know, go into iTunes and, and type in Believe in country music and try to see what that song is. It turns out it's this beautiful song by a group called Brooks and Dunn, a song that none of us had ever heard before. It had been popular maybe a decade before. Uh, It was not on the radio now. You know, it was not a song we'd ever heard. And as it turns out, the song is about a guy who had lost his wife and his child. His wife and his child died, but he was okay. He was able to get through life because he knew without a doubt that life goes on. And it ends with the line, you can't tell me that it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. So we were shocked. We're sitting on the couch, all three of us just weeping because we were the chances that yeah, this song would ha- happen to be about life after death. There are not that many popular songs out there that are about the idea of survival of death. Correct. And That's the fact right. that that happened to be and it wasn't like my dad had heard it the day before. 
uh, it was seven years or so ago, 10 years that he had heard that song and then forgotten to tell us about it. If he had given, if he had given that to my sister way back then, she would have thought, oh, that's a sweet song. But Mm -hmm. when we finally found it, you know, when we did sort of like you finding that book uh, that you were telling me about earlier, you found it when you needed it, that we found this song when we needed it. So that would have been cool enough. But the day after the funeral, I was driving back to New York. Uh, we, we live in Connecticut. I, I lived and work in New York at that time. Uh, and for the first time, I was alone. And my dad's death, for the first time, truly hit me. I remember almost reaching over to pick up the phone to like call him. And the thought that I could not, that I would never be able to hear his voice on the other end of that phone again just killed me. And I started to sob uh, in the car. Uh, and I, I was getting ready to pull over because I like, I'm thinking, you know, I can't see, I, I mean, that's how hard I was crying. Now at that time, I always listened to my own music ever since iPods, the advent of iPods and iPhones. I always plug my phone in when I get in the car and have my own music on that day. I, I simply didn't have the energy to plug in the phone. So I wasn't listening to music at all. But as it turned out, the radio happened to be on in the background. I didn't turn it on. I just didn't plug my phone in. So I guess it was on in the background and I hadn't been paying any attention at all. As I'm sobbing and thinking about, you know, putting on the blinker to pull off the road here, I hear these words and I think, you know, I go to turn up the music, but I'm actually afraid to turn it up because if I am hearing what I think I'm hearing, like, you know, I'm going to lose control of the (laughs) steering wheel, but I, I turn it up and the words blast out of my speaker you can't tell me that it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. Wow. It was that song. And I called my sister. I'm yeah, listen to this, listen to this. Um, so that was the first thing. And, and then things just, just kept on happening. Right. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Already he started to reach out to you. Do you think by any chance that those little pieces of paper that you found that had the word believe on them, is there any way you think that he could have manifested those and not been sitting there all that time. I mean, with given the things that I have now seen with my own eyes, I will not say that anything is impossible. I, I will absolutely not say that anything is impossible. I'll say there are things that science can test and there are things that science can't. You know, we can use the scientific method for some things and some things we can't. Uh, but the possibility that he could have manifested those in some way, absolutely that's possible. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, as we talked about psychics, well, you talked about psychics earlier. We always feel when we lose a loved one or, or something, we want to we want to reach out to a psychic. We want to reach out to a clairvoyant. We want to try and find out what we can. We want to try and make contact. I've done it myself uh, because when you're grieving, you'll try anything to get something, anything, won't you? Um, oh, yeah. oh, to, yeah. to, to, to get just anything, any small thing, any mm-hmm. connection. Um, you do have to be careful uh, of these kind of things because there are frauds out there. We all know that. Um, but equally, there are those that are not frauds. And for example, you know, John Edward, uh, Tyler Henry, Teresa Caputo, Matt Frazier. Um, so I'm sure you're familiar with, with those names. I am now. Yes. 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 So um, you had a good experience with your psychic then. Yeah. Well, as you said, most people 
um, reach out to mediums, right? They're, they're grieving and that's one of the ways uh, that they deal with their grief is to reach out to a medium. In our case, mediumship careened into our lives. It was not something we sought out. Uh, it came to us. So I'll also say that I was sure, you know, given my scientific bent growing up, um, I, I was familiar with John Edward and that show. And I, I thought it was incredibly fascinating, very intriguing. But I, I was like, well, how much of that can be real? Um, at the time, I was thinking that if there is any actual evidence that someone like that is actually getting information from somewhere other than his own brain, um, surely one of my science professors would have told me about it, right? If there's real actual evidence for communication with dead people, right after teaching me about, you know, ribosomes or cell division and mitosis, my pro biology professor would have said, oh, and by the way, there's also evidence that some human brains can get evidence from uh, deceased people. And since no science teacher had ever taught me about that, I assumed there must not be any real solid evidence out there. So though, though I found John Edward intriguing, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't put a whole lot of stock into it, uh, assuming that science would have figured that out, figured this out by now, if it was an actual thing. So that's sort of the position that I was in when my dad passed. And then... A woman, uh, I won't tell the whole story, it's complicated, but it's all in the book in detail. But the bottom line is a woman who is a complete stranger, who my dad had never met, who my family had never met, who is a medium, uh, contacted my family to say, you know, I know this is nuts. I, you know, I don't know what your beliefs are about all of this stuff, but I have your dad here. I've got your dad. His name is Robert. He's telling me his name's Robert. He's tapping me on the shoulder. He is desperate for me to get this message to you guys that he survived death and he's okay. Uh, and that phone call came into my mom's house one night uh, about, uh, you know, j just like the week after the funeral. Out no, of the blue. This woman didn't know you though. No, no. She, as it turns out, she is a friend of my second cousin's husband um, who has a ghost hunting team. Now, oh. this second cousin's husband is a guy that we – I couldn't even picture him when my mom said uh, – a call came in from Chris. Do you remember Chris? It's like, Chris, uh, no. You know, I think I might have been at a wedding with him when I was you know, a, a kid or something. So he had never called my mom's house before. Uh, we were not at all close. They were investigating a house – and they're a medium, the medium on their team said, I have this spirit named Robert here. Um, he, I don't think he's connected to this house necessarily, but Chris, I think he's somehow connected to your family somehow. And his name is Robert and his family is connected to a fish restaurant. And Chris then suddenly remembered, oh, Robert, that's my, that's my wife's second cousin's, you know, ex-husband, Robert, his family owns a fish restaurant. Wow. which my, my, my sister owns a fish restaurant. Wow. So that's how, so my poor cousin or second cousin or whatever he is, uh, the poor guy had to like call the, and he and I have now become friends and, and I've talked to him ad nauseum about this whole thing. Uh, him having to make that phone call that night, you know, he was a hospital administrator. That's, he has mm -hmm. a very sort of straight laced job. And he was in the, uh, what he calls the quote unquote paranormal closet at that time, afraid to let anyone, any of his colleagues know mm -hmm. that on the weekends he investigates paranormal activity. <laughs> uh, so for him 
to have to make this phone call having no idea how my mom would react. Uh, you know, it was not an easy phone call to make. Right. And that was more evidential for me. I mean, they really did it because they honestly, truly felt they believed that it was actually my dad who was not going to stop until the message got through. Right. And evidently he pursued that as much as he could using other people to do that. And this is what spirit do. They are going to find a way to make that connection no matter what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now it, it looks like my dad like died came out of his body, turned around and saw how, in what terrible shape his family was in. You know, we were all in this pit of despair. And he was like, well, I can't leave it like this. So he quickly found the closest medium he could, which happened to be connected to our second cousin's husband. He's like, okay, you over there. And and that's how it started. Unbelievable. How did your mom accept that and your sister? My mom, you know, like you said, when you're grieving like that, you want, you'll grasp anything, right? Any little shaft of light that pierces Mm -hmm. that darkness you'll grab onto. Now, my mom, um, like me, you know, she's a very scientifically minded person. She's a nurse, you know, she's a registered nurse. So she's always been involved in science and the medical fields her whole life. But like me, she's also open-minded. You know, neither of us would ever shut anything down without investigation, right? That's what science is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Something happens and then we observe it and we investigate it. Um, So uh, when the phone call came in, you know, because it wasn't just that. Other messages came through. Uh, This woman, Christina, who I ended up talking to for a long time, and she ended up saying things to me beyond Robert and the fish store. And I tell the whole story again in the book, but things that made me think, huh, how did she know that? You know, things that were, she just couldn't know um, that ended up having these crazy repercussions down the line, these things with butterflies. And uh, the story is just nuts. But um, so my mom uh, was open to the, to the idea. Uh, and, uh, that, that's really how, how our interest in the idea of mediumship as a possible actual ability began. Mm -hmm. So now you are 100%, uh, convinced that life consciousness continues on beyond the physical body and that, uh, consciousness is not annihilated. Oh God. Yeah. And I'm yes. exactly yes. the same. I mean, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just this, what I just talked about. The story <clears throat> go, goes on and on. And I won't bore your listeners talking about it on, on air, uh, you know, uh, but it, the, uh, eventually we had experiences with mediums that I simply, um, th- for me, the Occam's razor answer was that my dad was somehow communicating with them. Mm-hmm. Because, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, there's, there's definitely something there, Mike, that continues on. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, like like yourself, and it kind of makes you, it kind of makes you less fearful of death. And when you lose your fear of dying, you also lose your fear of living uh, as well. Yes, um, I, yes, yeah. you'd agree with that. Oh yeah, I just you, you're familiar with Bruce Grayson, I'm sure, and you know, Dr. He, Bruce Grayson, Dr. Yeah. Grayson, yeah, and he, you know, that's something that he says that I just love that when you lose your your fear of dying, you lose your fear of living, and I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. And the polls, the polls do show that the majority of people do believe in the afterlife, and mm-hmm. in the last, you know, the last fifty years or so, uh, there's been a great change of what scientists now believe of the afterlife. Um, and that, you know, recent studies that have been undertaken mm-hmm. in Scotland, Belgium, Brazil, as well as here in the United States, uh, right. in relation to scientists, that 50% of scientists are now open 
and willing to say that the mind and the brain are two separate things. Um, that would never have been talked about 50 years ago. It wouldn't. No, things are starting to change, but there's still a wall. And that's, that's what I see now as my, uh, my mission. If I have a place in this conversation, that's where I, I'm, I'm focusing my time now, is trying to break down the wall, the stigma that is still there. Yes, so, so uh, Grayson, again, quotes this study that says 50% of scientists, and scientists is sort of a general term, because there are so many different kinds of scientists, right? That's, that's one of the issues, is science is so compartmentalized now. Uh, that a, you know, a quantum physicist doesn't know what the, n the latest breakthroughs in neuroscience are necessarily. You know, it's also uh, individuated. But um, so, so we have a, this poll of 50% of scientists in general who believe, and again, there's that word believe, <clears throat> uh, that there is life after death. How many of those scientists will tell you that there is proof of life mm -hmm. after death? That's a different question. Mm -hmm. And um, how many of them would feel safe or comfortable uh, teaching a course on this at their university or going to their, the, the, the board of their university and saying, listen, I want to do a study on mediumship. That is still a no-no in a lot of places, um, even though the evidence is astounding in my mind. In my mind, the word belief uh, is not necessary in some cases uh, there is so much evidence. For instance, Dr. Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, who mm -hmm. um, has been investigating the, the Division of Perceptual Studies for over 50 years now, started by Dr. Ian Stevenson, one of the most brilliant minds on the on the planet at that time. He became the head of psychiatry at UVA when he was like 35 years old, which was unheard of, like a really bright guy. Um, the evidence for reincarnation the evidence that it's an actual phenomenon is so strong that the book editor of JAMA, the J Journal of the American Medical Association, right, which is one of the most uh, respected scientific journals in the world, when that book editor uh, took a look at one of Dr. Stevenson's incredibly thorough books, his conclusion was that reincarnation was the most likely explanation. That's how strong the evidence is. And yet, again, you're hard pressed, very hard pressed to get mainstream scientists to say, hey, it looks like reincarnation might be a real thing. So even though we, we have 50% of scientists who might privately tell, say that they believe there is life after death, mm -hmm. getting, getting funding to really look at this stuff is still really hard. There's still this, this very great stigma, even with UFOs that you and I were talking about, right? Like now, for me, I, I don't, I, I can't, it, cracks my brain to think that there are people who are still questioning this. The evidence yes. is now, it's been admitted, but we have that captured on camera, the most sophisticated radar forward-looking infrared camera systems in the world, right? The, mm -hmm. the limits and, and these other episodes that happened. The most highly sophisticated camera and radar equipment in the world has captured these things. They're exhibiting movement that break the laws of physics, which okay. of course- which, which they don't, they don't break the laws of physics. They just, it just means we don't understand the laws of physics yet. Uh, so, for any, right. so for any scientist to say anything is impossible when we don't even understand the laws of physics yet, you know, that uh, is another thing that blows my mind. Um, but anyway, the evidence for UFOs now is so strong. I don't understand how it's still a conversation. Is this real? Do you believe in UFOs? What I do agree. Do I, do I believe in them? It's not about belief. <laughs> they're, they're there. Look. Yeah, that's them. right. That's yeah. right. Solid nuts and bolts craft, you know, so, and that's, yeah. I mean, 
things that you can see with your eyes. David, Commander David Fravor, right, who's been making a lot of, you know, a lot of news. He's a top gun pilot, much like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise seems to be a theme in this uh, interview. Uh, he's a Top Gun pilot and instructor. One of the, you know, one of our best pilots uh, in in the military. He saw this thing with his own eyes. The guy has been flying since he was like 15, you know, and now he's a, uh, he's a trainer. He trains the kids how to fly these incredible machines. And when he tells you what he saw with his own eyes, which is also captured on radar and on film, on a forward-looking infrared infrared film, not only is it on that, he also saw it with his own eyes, and he saw it do a maneuver that is impossible. Uh, so when when this type of information is out there, and we're still asking the question, you know, do you like on 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 these news shows, the the newscaster is asking, do you believe in UFOs? Uh, it's again, it's not a question of belief at this point. Right. We're tired of those questions. We're tired of hearing. We need to move yes. on from that now. Yes. We all know that they are here, whoever they are. Yes. And, and for whatever purpose they're here. Yeah. It's like we can't move on to the deeper questions right. until that's we right. accept the simple, basic fact that right. they are happening. And again, that's, right. that's the thing about that gets me nuts because science is supposed it's supposed to be about observing something that happens in the natural world and then trying to get to the bottom of how it happened and why it happened. But the first step in that process is accepting that it happened. So when I write about these things that I have now seen with my own eyes and at the end of the book, I talk about something physical that happened. So this is not, it's unequivocal. It happened. It's not a mental mediumship where people are interpreting thing and things and you're using statistics uh, to see how likely it is that they could have come up with that information by chance. This is in something called physical mediumship. You're talking about something that physically happens in the room objectively. Everyone in the room sees and hears and feels right. it. Um, right. So, you know, once I want to get past the question of does it happen? Because I know now, I personally now know it definitely happens. So let's get past that and start to ask the deeper questions. Absolutely. And and just on the subject of UFOs for a moment, society is beyond that, uh, those questions. Well, are UFOs real? Because we, we're dealing with things such as abductions. Oh, yeah. We're dealing with things such as suspected alien implants. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. You know, we in so, society, way beyond it. Way beyond. And, and so those are the questions that, you know, those are the big, deep questions, right? So when I was in high school, I was aware of all of that stuff. But you could not talk about the, the possibility of alien abduction without uh, people thinking you're entirely insane, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the most moving experiences of my life, maybe moving is the right word, affecting, profound, was um, a couple of years after I, I left high school. I, I was still in college, I believe. Uh, a kid got in touch with me that I'd gone to college with, and he, I mean, I'm sorry, that I'd gone to high school with, and he and I were not uh, friends in high school. He, like, played football. You know, I was, like, in the theater club you know we were not hanging out together at all uh he was like a pretty cool popular guy and i was uh, something else but he got <laughs> in contact with me uh when i was in college and he said hey mike this is uh, you know i won't say his name but this is blah 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 do you remember me and i was like yeah <laughs> i'm shocked that you remember me and he said can we get together for coffee and at that point i'm thinking is this some kind of a bizarre 
joke? You know, what is this? I w- he would be the last person on the planet I would ever expect a phone call from. But anyway, we got together uh, and he told me about his whole family's abduction. And really? it was, yeah. And it was clear very quickly that it was not a joke. He was crying. We were sitting oh, at this God. coffee. Yeah. Sitting outside at a coffee shop, uh, you know, with people, you know, not too far away. And he's and he's crying. And he said, uh, you know, I'm sorry that you were the only person that I could think of to call because I knew that you were in that club in high school. So that's the limited options still that some some of these folks have, because um, though you and I are very open to this, and we probably uh, spend a lot of time in 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 networks that are open to this, for the general population, uh, for someone who is say, you know, living a, a life as a doctor or whatever, for them to come out and say, "Hey, I've been abducted by aliens. I think I have an implant," uh, you know there's still a stigma there and a lot of people are afraid to talk about that in their lives, you know? So now, cause now I have these people as actual real friends in my life, not just that guy, but people who are currently now in my life that are friends that mm-hmm. I know are completely a hundred percent sane. Some of the brightest people that I, that I know, That's right. in yep. fact, and That's right. um, you know, they, I can't even imagine living a life uh, when not only is this incredibly sometimes traumatic thing happening to you, right? Cause it's not always a, pleasant event you know people it's a very you know it's a varied event there's no single abduction experiences mixed emotions yeah completely you know for some people it's terrifying some people get beyond the terror and have beautiful experiences but oh sorry that's my cat behind me yes Uh, i I was going to say you have a very cute cat in the background there i'm sorry she only comes out when i'm doing interviews i swear to god i only hear (laughs) Listen, uh, I have two of my own. I had three, but I lost my boy last year unexpectedly. Oh, he was, he sorry. Just, oh, he was gorgeous. He just turned 18. Oh, His, wow. Yeah, he had hypothyroidism and he just passed right in front of me, which was devastating. I'm so sorry. Um, thank you. But I still have a sister who just turned 19 and um, have, have a rescue who's five. So I just noticed your beautiful cat there. <laughs> yeah, she's she's great. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I have I have these people in my life now that are dealing with this. You know, they're 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 trying to live their regular earthly life. You know, one of them, for instance, was an actor. He'd been a successful actor back in the day, and then this thing happened to him, and it completely upended his life. Obviously, mm-hmm. because. How can you, you know, for him, he could not focus on anything else anymore. Once, once this reality was opened up to him uh, and and he had no one to talk to in his life. So he's dealing with this incredibly traumatic thing alone, which I can't. It's it's hard. It's hard to accept. It's hard to accept the reality of life at that point because it's like, well, what's reality anymore? Yes, exactly. Right. That's the question. Yeah, what's reality? I think that is the question that actually keeps a lot of this from getting into the mainstream uh, because Mm -hmm. science, you know, we're still human beings. Everyone is a human being, a scientist or not. And ego is still there all the time. And I I think that scientists, you know, we love to have the answers, right? Uh, Everyone does. But I think scientists especially love to have the answers uh, and and they want to have something they can grab onto. And 
if we accept some of what you and I are talking about right now, it basically knocks out the foundations of a lot of our science. Mm -hmm. It tells us that the foundations we've built a lot of this stuff on uh, is incorrect. And in a lot of cases, we have to go back to the draw drawing board and that's really right. start all over again. And I think that's, you know, for obvious reasons, that's a, a difficult notion, I think, for a lot of people to accept. So I really think that's the thing. It, it's that because now we have to start facing, wait a minute, what is reality? That's right. Uh, and that can be a frightening question, I think. That's right. What is reality in terms of talking about UFOs and an extraterrestrial presence? What is really reality when you've had a physical body here for, you know, 60 years like your dad, 83 for my dad, and then suddenly the physical body is gone? It's like, what just happened? Yeah. Now, now where does that leave me? What, what's my life? What's, what's beyond this? So we yeah. question, question, question. And like when I wrote my uh, book, I survived beyond and back, which is right there. Uh, glimpses of people who've experienced near-death experiences. Yeah. Um, I actually write about a doctor who came here on KGRA in 2018, uh, Dr. Lauren Belge. And uh, she said during the interview, Talking about near-death experiences within the medical profession is something that's very, very, you just don't do it. Yeah. Until she was confronted by one of her peers that said, you're right, you know, whis whispering to her, you're right, I had a, a drowning and I, I died. Yeah. So everything you're saying is correct. So it's, it's hard to accept that. People don't want to talk about it, but it is slowly starting to shift. Slowly, it thank is. Yeah. goodness. Thank goodness. I mean, thank goodness. I, I, I you know, the, the 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 UFO stuff getting into the New York Times. Obviously, that's a big deal. Uh, the show Surviving Death. That was their whole point was to try to get some of this stuff because it's about near death experiences. Uh, right. Children who remember past lives, mediumship, but trying to get some of that at least into the conversation. Right. Well, let's see here, Mike, because I do want to ask you how you got involved with the documentary Surviving Death. We've got about five minutes to break. So do you think we could uh, kind of talk about that for a moment, how you got involved with it? Sure, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I had been doing uh, my own documentary after after this stuff with mediumship started to happen. Uh, I basically called one of the mediums we'd had an amazing experience with uh, about a year later. And I said, listen, I need to know that what you're doing is real. Because by that point, I'd started sharing the story with people. I found it was bringing people comfort. And then I was feeling this real responsibility to be sure that I was telling them the truth. Um, so I called her and I said, basically, I want to test you on camera to see if under controlled conditions, you can get the sort of information that you gave my family. And she said yes to that. Uh, so the conditions were that she would come in, sit down in front of the camera, I'd hit record, and then I would walk a complete stranger into the room. Uh, no one knew who was coming in that day. Uh, often, I never even told the crew who was coming in that day. I was the only person and I watched her get these results time and time again that were changing people's lives. And and then of course, again that whole the whole story is in the book and I have some clips on my website uh of the of the uh of our experimental setup if people want to see some of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um so I was making that documentary and Leslie Kane was um, was in the documentary. Um and uh, she became a great friend throughout the process uh, and ended up, you know, uh, 
giving me the experience that totally changed my life. Uh, we could talk about that after the break. Um, but uh, through through while we were making the documentary, Netflix decided to make a six part series based on her book, Surviving Death. And she brought my story to Netflix. And so that's how I ended up in that project. Fantastic. I when I saw, discovered it on Netflix, I, it was before uh, January the 6th, I think, is when it was released. Yeah, good memory. Yes. Yes. And I kept saying, come on, come on. I'm waiting for January the 6th. And when January the 6th happened and it was out, I was glued, Mike. I watched every single episode one after the other. Oh, and yeah, there was near death experiences. There was reincarnation. Um, Everything was just phenomenal the way she did that. So kudos to Leslie. Yeah, she she, you know, and if it were up to Leslie, there'd be even more, you know, it's kind of meant as a um, it covers sort of the basics, you know, it doesn't uh, it's meant as kind of a primer to get people interested and then they can go go do their own research because there is so much more out there. Um, And, and, um, you know, there, you know, that might not be the end. There might be more things coming in the future, uh, but there's. Yeah, I mean, that's just the beginning for people to jump off from. There's a ton of fat. It's it's an amazing universe. It's just yes, it is. Universe. Yes, it is. And this is Surviving Death that came out January the 6th on Netflix. Uh, if our viewers and listeners haven't yet seen it, oh, my God, you don't know what you're missing. You need to see this as, as soon as you can because it's absolutely brilliant. And there was another uh, little banner there of uh, Surviving death of uh, Leslie Kane. And of course, uh, we're talking about Mike Anthony's book tonight, Love Dad, How My Father Died, then told me he didn't. And we are having a fascinating fascinating conversation with you here, Mike. We're going to go to a short break in a moment. And I just want to remind our viewers and our listeners, we will be taking calls um, 30 minutes into our next section of the show. So, Please call in if you have experienced uh, visitations from a loved one. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you if you've experienced that. Um, So you can share your story. Or if you have a question for Mike, you can even uh, speak to Mike. He'd be uh, delighted to, to take a call from you. I'm going to be talking to Mike right after the break about more communication from his father and mine. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this. What really happens when we die? What lies on the other side? And is death the end? My new book, I Survived Beyond and Back, sheds light on these questions and takes you on a journey of first-hand near-death experiences as reported by those who experience them. I Survived Beyond and Back, available now on Amazon and bookstores nationwide. (laughs) 
Are you still at it? Yeah, I need more speed. This baby's fast. My dad's fast. He's scary fast. You really think you could beat him? Yeah, because I drink more tea than he does. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, pal, it's the tea that makes you go. Oh. Hey, Dad. You know, kiddo? You have to drink a lot more tea to be faster than me. Drink the tea that makes you go. Life change tea. You may not need as much as Dad. You never know. GetTheTea.com. Log on to GetTheTea.com. Welcome to the new KGRA digital broadcasting website, thekgradb.com. Here you'll find great new content, including the KGRA classics, great shows from our archives. You'll be able to see the showtimes and information so you can see what show is currently on air. The on-air live button. So just go to this section and you'll be able to hear the show live with exceptional sound quality. We also have the vault section. Make sure to subscribe to get access to great content and special features. We have the make content for our latest news and events, so make sure to sign up and you can be part of our forum. So make sure to check out the new KGRA digital broadcasting website, the KGRADB.com. We look forward to seeing you there, and we hope that you enjoy the new website. Mainstream media's most wanted. KGRARadio.com. And welcome back to the Tracy Austin Show. I'm here with my special guest tonight, Mike Anthony, whose book is called Love Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. And this book and his story was used as part of Surviving Death by Leslie Keane on the Netflix series. And we were talking about that just before the break. Um, Mike, I I just wanted to say to you, uh, you know, I showed you my book, you saw it there in the break, um, primarily about near-death experiences. But in the back of the book, I actually write about the communication with my father. And I call it surviving beyond because he, he is surviving beyond. Um, I went into some detail with you before the show of how all of that communication happened. I think most of my listeners and viewers that follow the show know for themselves how that all happened. Uh, And just to say it happened with this book, Into the Light, written by Dr. John Lerma, MD, um, and what people see three to five days before passing. This is the book that started all of the communication with my father and the contact since April of 2000. And eighteen, and by the way, um, this is a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. Hello from Heaven by Bill and Judy Guggenheim. John Edward actually recommended this book. Um, have you been contacted by a loved one who has died? Uh, yes, I have, and my guest Mike has tonight. Um, my dad comes, as I said to you, Mike, he switches the light on in the guest bedroom. It's all spontaneous. I never know when he's going to show up. Sometimes it can be once a month. Sometimes it can be six times a month. And I experienced that last July because July is my birthday month. 
Mm-hmm. And so six days in a row, my dad came, switched the light on. Oh. And in one particular day, he did it twice in one day. So I was ecstatic. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. I have friends, three, um, well, I have lots of friends, but I have three. <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm very lonely. <laughs> I have three psychic medium friends in the UK, and I had two of them. Um, one particular who said to me during a reading in 2019, what is this about your dad and a dragonfly? Now, at the time, I didn't have a clue what she was meaning because my dad started to also send me hummingbirds. And uh, I'd have beautiful interaction with hummingbirds out of the blue. That was, I just knew it was my father. When she said to me, what is this about your dad and dragonflies? I had no idea. And this was in April of 2019 when she said this. I started to get dragonfly visitations from June of Mm. that year. And so I have detailed pictures in the book of how dragonflies would show up sit for about four hours on a branch of a tree outside my patio. Mm-hmm. And the most unremarkable behavior for a dragonfly, dragonflies don't do that. Yeah. yeah. And I've even had situations where a dragonfly and a hummingbird came together. Oh, wow. And sat in the tree. So what more could I ask for? You know? Yeah, so I, Yeah, so he, he sent me these signs. Um, I've had feathers that have manifested inside the house. I've also had pennies. Mm. And I went to see John Edward here in Las Vegas in 2019. And he said to me, you know, um, if ever you receive a penny, a penny from heaven, you should always check the date, the year on the penny because it's of significance to you. And I can tell you, yes, they are. And I started to get a penny, which had 2017 on it, which was the year my father passed. Mm -hmm. Then I started to get other dates that were significant as well. So I wanted to ask you, have you had signs such as birds, insects, feathers, pennies from your dad? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of, one of the great ones, uh, this was un, unreal. Uh, my, it was the year that my dad passed. We, my sister has two kids. I have a niece and a nephew and they were incredibly close to my dad. So my nephew, I think was having his fifth birthday or, or maybe his sixth. Uh, so my dad died in September and it was in June of that year. He's in the driveway playing basketball with his father, my brother-in-law and my sister and my brother-in-law have a very long driveway that goes out to a very busy road. And suddenly they see this, this is on the day of my nephew's birthday. There is a Mylar balloon that's at about my nephew's height. So it's maybe like three feet off the ground at the end of the driveway at the end. And there are these, you know, cars are zooming past down in the street and it drifts down the driveway all the way down the long driveway to where they're playing basketball. And my nephew takes it. And and my, my brother-in-law screaming to my sister who's in the house, Jen, come look at this. Come look. So my sister saw this too. She came to the front door and saw this as well. And not only was it a balloon, on my nephew's birthday, it was a happy birthday balloon. It said happy birthday on it. Wow. And, it was, and it's at his height. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, all kinds <laughs> of things like that. The butterflies are a big one. A big Really? One. Yes. And wow. I tell the story in the book about one that appeared uh, at a time that's just – there's just no way – I mean, I know what 
what a skeptic is going to say uh, about butterflies. I know about patternicity and how they will say that your brain, uh, you know, you aren't now seeing more butterflies. Your brain is just assigning a meaning to them now. I, I'm aware of all of that stuff. Uh, but uh, I've had them appear at times that there's just no way you can tell me. <laughs> That's right. No way. You know, it, it, yeah. just, it makes that total connection with you and there's no denying yeah. it. Yeah. There, there are things. Totally. And there are so many things like that. And they're so powerful and profound and real to us. And But we're never going to be able to take them into a lab. But just right. because just because we can't take them into a lab does not mean they didn't happen. You know, that's, that's right. an important thing to remember. That is uh, correct. So, yeah, I've had tons. Uh, lights are a big one with me as well. My dad, when we were little, I, my, my parents got divorced when we were young. And so my dad would pick us up on the weekends. And when he dropped us off on Sunday nights, he would f- uh, turn the lights on his car on and, on and off as like a last goodbye. And I would fl- we would flick the lights of the porch on and off to sort of say goodbye. And uh, there was a morning... I was living in Queens and it was, you know, I think it was that first week back at work. And, and I, you know, I work on Broadway, uh, bartending on Broadway. You have to be, you know, in, a, in pretty good spirits to do that job. You know, you have to be pretty That's focused right. to do it well. And there was a morning I, I was about getting ready to leave. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I can do this today. You know, I don't know that I have, I have it today to do this. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, calling out of work. But for whatever reason, I opened up the front door to leave and I was in an apartment building in Queens. That's where I lived at that time. And I had, you know, maybe 15 doors in my hallway and every door had a light uh, in the hallway above their door. And my light, I have video of this. My light was doing this crazy flashing and just my light. I looked oh up gosh. and down the hall. Every other light's perfectly fine. Not even a, you know, not not glinting in any way. And my light is doing this crazy wow. flashing on and off. Uh, so I have, I get some of that as well. Um, yeah. It's a brilliant see? feeling, isn't it? Oh man. I feel like I'm, flo- when those things happen, I feel like I'm floating. I really, yeah. I, it feels like I'm floating. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely do. You feel like you've you've won the lottery or something. Yeah. Yes. You, you, you can't describe it to anybody. They have yeah. to have it happen to them. You do. And, and, and you find that with so much of this, you know, you mentioned before uh, a doctor who had a near death experiences, you know, we hear stories like this, people like Eben Alexander, who were complete materialist scientists. So was uh, Dr. Grayson. Uh, complete, absolute, staunch materialist. Dr. Grayson grew up in a house of science, and and they, you know, he 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 says now that he felt like he was letting his dad down when he started looking into like near death experiences and things. Um, so, but when when a materialist scientist like Eben Alexander uh, has a near death experience, boy, will that change their perspective very quickly. So, uh, yes, these experiences uh, are incredibly profound to the people that have them. Uh, and no skeptic is now going to be able to dissuade Eben Alexander that he left his body and had a very real experience. That's right. And I wanted to show you this. Um, I saw this on the internet. Um, one of the afterlife groups, they posted this to say they were in front of, well, behind a vehicle and the plate said afterlife. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was that was pretty cute. So I grabbed the photo yeah. there. And also this little cute cartoon here that the irony is that our loss is another's reunion. That is so sweet. Yeah. uh, Those, the end of life experiences that you've mentioned, those are some of my favorite things uh, because, you know, death 
especially I think now in our culture, in our country, it's very removed. We tend to keep it very secluded in hospital rooms. It's not something that we talk a lot about. Uh, And in times past, you know, death was something that, you know, people would have the wake right in the house, for instance, you know, I mean, it wasn't quite as uh, taboo, I guess, of a subject. And in in previous cultures, you know, like the the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, in these cultures, uh, death was an enormous part of life. It was all intertwined. So they didn't shy away from it. You know, Um, in our culture, we do tend to avoid the topic until we can't anymore. And that can make the process when it does happen uh, very upsetting. You know, you're not ever at ready for it, but uh, in, if, if we were more open about the dying process, we might be able to change some of how the end of life goes. Um, there's a great doctor named Dr. Christopher Kerr. Uh, he heads up the hospice um, program in Buff- Buffalo. I think it's Buffalo. He's involved in our pro- in, in surviving death. We have an episode uh, that mm-hmm. covers Dr. Kerr. And he talks about, and if you talk to almost any hospice nurse, chances are they're going to have a story for you about yes. what happens at the end of life when someone is in hospice and they're coming to the end. It with great frequency an experience will happen that brings an enormous peace to the person going through the process and sometimes in the really most fascinating cases to science anyway there's something called a shared death experience where even the, the people who are alive uh witness the same thing or a part of the same thing as well and how do you explain those it's away? pretty incredible yeah incredible. pretty incredible it, yeah yeah i mean we in in our own family uh my 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 brother-in-law's grandmother she just passed away last year and she had had a stroke and for the last few weeks she had been um totally out of it she could not remember our names anymore she could barely speak you know she was uh almost in a coma for a while then all of the sudden one day she sat straight up and as clear as a bell, she was now talking as clear as a bell, meant saying these names of the people who she said were standing at the foot of the bed. And these are people, some of them she hasn't seen in 40 or 50 years, like an uncle of hers, her mom, oh her God. dad. She was in her 90s. So she's talking about, she's like, look, there's cousin Andy. There's blah, blah, blah. She's Nate rattles off like these wow. five names as clear as a she was suddenly so <laughs> coherent, right? And then she's saying to them, why can't I? Why? And we asked her what was going on. She's told us later. She she wanted to go with them and they were saying, no, it's not, not time just yet. You need a little while longer. And she was like pissed by the end of this. She like <laughs> wanted to go. So that experience, not only did it take away the fear of death for her, she actually could not wait to go with them. So the dying process is not always as scary um, for the person going through it as as we might think that it is. And I think that if we were able to open up this conversation a little bit more, um, you know, we might be able to take away a, a little bit, at least mitigate some of the fear. Right. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. It needs to be discussed and talked about more than it is, because then it would take away the fear of it and yeah. it would put more, hopefully, understanding to some degree to it. I um, yeah, I, I remember when my father's mother was about to pass. I was 14 years of age and uh, my mother and my mother's, uh, my father's sister, uh, her sister-in-law was with her as she was trying to pass. And my mother said to me that my grandmother was saying, 
I'm not going with you. I'm not going. I'm not going with you. So mm-hmm. there was a kind of negative one where she didn't want to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But of course she did uh, because that was the, it was meant to, to be that way. But um, I'm just looking through our, our chat here, our chat room as I'm talking to you, Mike. And uh, we have some, I hope she won't mind me saying this. We have someone named Anna who's listening to our show. And she said, my brother used to bend spoons when eating. After he passed, I found a bent spoon in my drawer. Wow, that's great. So how about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah. 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 All kinds of, you know, since, especially since the series has aired, I I, I get messages like that all the time. And I love, I never get tired of of reading those things. You you can't deny, uh, there are some things that you just cannot deny uh, that happen. That's right. Let me ask you this question, Mike. What's your belief on things like EVPs? Have you ever tried any? I haven't tried it myself, but I mean, there's a lot of, you know, evidence that something is going on uh, in some cases, you know, it, it, EVPs are hard because it can be very subjective, right? You're, you're, again, our brains are set up to try to make patterns out of noise. Um, so if we want to strictly talk about science here, um, you're going to have a hard time getting a, getting sort of a, a mainstream hardcore scientist to say that um, EVPs uh, are, it's going to be hard to say unequivocally, I think, <clears throat> that that is what they are because we are, because the brain works in that way. I mean, that's what the brain does. It, it, it picks out patterns sometimes that are not there. It's an evolutionary, uh, it's the way the brain has developed over millions and millions of years to, to, to help us survive. Um, and it can work against us sometimes in, with things like that. But that said, um, I have heard some EVPs before that I'm like, no, I clearly hear, heard that, you know, <laughs> like that, that sounds to me like that's really someone saying a sentence there. Um, and then there are other sorts, other kinds of instrumental trans communication. Uh, you know, people use... Uh, take photographs of smoke sometimes or uh, using like the white noise on the television is something that people used to do. There's something called the skull experiments that people might be familiar with. Um, And uh, where, where like film also has been used, right? Film, photographic film has been put in a a sealed compartment. There was no way to get into it. And they ask the spirit world supposedly to write you know, to somehow use the, the chemicals on that film to, to put a message into the film. And sure enough, uh, sometimes under tightly controlled conditions with scientists there, uh, the stuff has shown up on that film. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely evidence that uh, it, it's possible. Well, there is. And, and I have some proof of it, which I want to play to you oh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've personally experienced some of the EVPs for myself. When my dad switches the light on in in the guest bedroom, um, I started to get out my my cell phone, my iPhone, to try and and record. And I've been doing that. And I have been getting some stuff back on my phone. Mm. Now, there is a a very good friend of mine in Arizona named Tony Rathman. Uh, Tony and Sheree Rathman are paranormal investigators. And Tony has built a spirit box. Uh, And it's called the Evox. And I have to tell you, Mike, this is absolutely one heck of a device. Mm. And um, he built this a couple of years ago. 
And in 2019, I asked, well, first of all, Tony and Cherie were guests on, on my show like you are tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, they, were, they, they were guests. That's how I first met them. And so when I learned about this Evox, I, I said to Tony, would you mind trying to do a test and communicate with my dad? And he said, sure. I'll I'll uh, I'll help you do that. And they have a show on on KGRA on Monday nights called Entity Voices and it's absolutely brilliant. Uh if you get a moment check it out. They have some great great evidence on there. Great. So Tony first of all tried to make contact with my dad and said, you know, as soon as he switches that box on mic, it's absolutely phenomenal because you can hear all the different spirits flocking to the box. Mm. And Tony will say to them, "Now Thank you for, you know, saying hello. And, and they call him by name, by the way. They say, hi, Tony. Wow. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted by it. I am absolutely blown away. Hi, Tony. You know, hello, Tony. And he'll ask them to just step, step to one side. And he says, I'm looking for a particular gentleman of the name Dan Austin. And that's my dad. And um, Dan, if you can hear me, I'm a friend of your daughter's and she would love it if you have a message to give. Can you hear me? Now, the very first time he did that and he sent me the audio, I heard my dad say, yes. So he was hearing Tony, but that's all he said. Now, my dad was a very quiet man. He was not a talkative soul at all. Very, very quiet. Um, But we did another EVP. And so what I did, I sent Tony a photograph of me and my dad, just so we could see what my dad looked like. Um, And it it was when my dad and my mom came to uh, Las Vegas for my birthday in 2011. And we went to this fancy restaurant here and we had a really nice meal. So I had mom take a photograph of me and dad and dad take a photograph of me and mom. So I sent the one of me and dad to Tony. This is what my dad looks like. I didn't know he was going to use that photograph for a test to communicate with my dad. Mm. So he holds up the photograph. I'm just giving you a little background story to the whole EVP. Mm-hmm. So he held up the photograph and he said, I'm looking for a specific gentleman of the name Dan Austin. And Dan, if you can hear me, I'm a very good friend of your daughter's. And she would love to hear from you if you have a message for her. So, Dan, I'm holding up a photograph. And you should recognize who's in this photograph because one of those people is you. Who is the other person? Okay. There is a slight pause, Mike. My dad says, that's me daughter. Really? Oh, yes. I was blown away. Wow. Blown away. And I'm going to play play it for you. Oh, I can't wait. And, And just to tell you the reason why he says, he said me instead of my daughter is because where I'm from in the north of England, which is just outside of Manchester in a place called Staffordshire, uh, Stoke-on-Trent, we kind of use that word as a slang term, a little bit like Scottish people or Irish people do. You know, that's me mum, that's me car, Mm -hmm. that's me dad, that's me dog, that's me cat, you know. So that's why I said that. And that gave validation to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the way he said that. So sure. I'm going to play this now. So I just wanted to set up that background for you yeah. to hear it. So okay. I did play it on a previous show a few weeks ago when we had Tony and Sherry on. And I'm sure some of our viewers and listeners have heard it, but I'm going to play it again for you. Okay. okay. So here it comes. 
And I'm hoping you'll be able to tell me who's in this picture. And I'm hoping you'll be able to tell me who's in this picture. I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's pretty great. It's that's pretty great. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I, I, I was full of mixed emotions when I heard that I didn't know whether to laugh, cry. It, I had a whole host of different things that just ran through my head. I'll bet. I'll bet. And you can, you can hear the electronics in the voice. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the only one that's kind of clear. The, I've had others as well from my cell phone, which I cannot hear audibly. I have to send those off to Tony. What he does is he puts them through his device with certain software right. and then sends them back, and I can hear the responses. But I've had quieter ones um, that where my dad has said, I won't leave you. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you can hear me talking on my phone, asking my dad, you know, I hope you're okay, dad. Uh, I hope everything's okay over there. And my dad responds, I'm all right. Yeah. But in a whisper. Right. Yeah. Those are too soft for you to play, for me to play. You wouldn't be able to hear them. Yeah. Tonight. But um, is is it something, now you've heard that from from my dad. Is it something that you think you'd try yourself? I would try it, yeah. Um, th- there's oops, there's um, a, a scientist uh, named Dr. Gary Schwartz out of the University yes. of Arizona, and you know some of his research is uh, has has been um, maligned. You know some some debunkers uh, have have uh, tried to poke holes in some of the methodological um, some of the the the. Uh, protocols uh they have found some holes in in it and so a, a woman named dr julie beichel uh who worked with him for a long time uh she she plugged those holes and did her own research and has is still getting positive results uh but anyway uh whether or not you you take uh uh, how 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 heavily you weight Dr. Schwartz's early studies in mediumship? What he's working on right now it has been for the last few years is something called the Soul Phone. Have, are you familiar with this? I am not familiar with that. No. Yeah, they're they're trying to come up with a process where basically uh, our loved ones can use instrumentation uh, to talk to us in their own words. Really? Yeah. Yeah. By uh, basically, you know, in one of the iterations that it was kind of like having a keyboard set up and they would uh, basically type, use their energy to somehow, uh, uh, you know, let us know which letter it was uh, that they were uh, trying to, trying to type. So it, it's something that they have been, been working on, but that, that would be the dream, right? To be able to just pick up a phone oh, and yes. call, call the other side, you know? Oh yes. Um, and sometimes the, the voice though is going to be different too, because of the frequencies they're on a different dimension. Yeah. So yeah. you are going to hear certain electronics. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the science of how those boxes work uh, precisely. You know, I, I know the theory is that if you have any sort of white noise, right, just kind of um, uh, non-defined noise, um, mm-hmm. they can use that somehow to make sense out of it in a way and, and use words. But as you just said, 
Now, some of what I'm going to say now is not scientifically based at all. This is coming from what I have been told by supposed spirit people speaking in their own words through a medium. Okay. Um, but what they say is that, you know, in the place where my dad uh, and your dad is right now, uh, and of course we hear this a lot from people who have near-death experiences, um, words are typically not the mode of communication, right? Words are far too limited. Uh, and we communicate via telepathy, via thought, right? That's right. Via That's right. feelings. And we'll get like whole concepts at one time you know we don't need these words one word at a time uh to to communicate with each other it's a whole different form of communication mm -hmm. so what i have been told is that someone like my dad who's where he is in order to get back to me in order for me to hear him in some way and sense him uh he has to sort of lower his vibrational state According to the spirit world, yes. uh, once we leave these dense bodies uh, and the and the sort of dense vibrational level that the physical reality that our eyes and ears see and hear, uh, you know, once we leave that, uh, we're vibrating at a much different level, and you kind of have to raise our vibrations a bit and lower theirs a bit and kind That's of correct. meet in the yeah. middle yeah. in order for these communications to happen. So it would make sense to me that, yeah, your dad wouldn't necessarily just sound like himself as he's using um, what, what I'm sure look to them like pretty rudimentary uh, forms of communication from that side mm -hmm. where from you're that going side of things. Like heart to heart, you know? And so, That's right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to find out, try to find out more about that soul phone. And I shall certainly talk to uh, Tony Rathman about it. I don't know if he's heard about the soul phone. Yeah, they've been they've been working on it. Yeah, Dr. Schwartz, I had a long conversation with him when I when I was very first started this research. And I, I wasn't aware yet of the sort of controversy surrounding some of the work that he'd done early on. Um um, not to say that he that he hasn't done work that is, you know, it's, it, you know, there are always debunkers out there. There are always people trying to poke holes in all. That's of this right. Stuff. That's um, right. But it's something they've been working on for for quite a while. And I, I, I you know, I look every once in a while, I'll check in to try to get an update on where, where that project stands. Well, I'd be interested to know more about that. Um, I can't find any holes with the EVPs. I'll be honest. I, I cannot find any holes in it. And uh, I think that debunkers out there, Mike, like to wish this whole afterlife thing away and say that, you know, we've invented the fact that life continues on after we die to erase the fear of dying um, or, or that there's nothingness. Um, but in ancient, ancient history, I mean, the Greeks, for example, believed in an afterlife. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. being skeptical is one thing, and I think it's healthy to be skeptical, but certainly... definitely. Not yeah. to debunk. No, I, I write about that in the book a bit. I, I spend a little time on debunkers because, again, I think that is the reason that we're having such a hard time getting this through to the mainstream. Um, a debunker is the same thing in my mind as a blind believer. There's no difference. So, uh, often a debunker, you know, they have a preconceived notion that something is impossible. I, I literally had a scientist say to me, what you're saying can't be possible because it can't be possible. That's mm -hmm. literally what he said. 
which obviously is a nonsensical statement that makes no sense whatsoever. And, um, you know, especially given where we are with quantum physics right now, as we talked about for any scientist to say that anything is impossible when we don't even understand the very foundations upon which, uh, reality is built, you know, for me, that's, that's not a wise thing to be saying. So a debunker (laughs) is someone often, you'll often find that the, some of the well-known debunkers, they debunk things without even doing the research. They don't even look at it. You know, there's a guy named Michael Shermer, right, who is a the editor of Skeptic Magazine. He's probably right now one of the most well-known skeptics on the planet. Now, I disagree because a skeptic, as you said, I think it's important to be skeptical, simply meaning that you're being rational. You're being rational and you require evidence before you believe something. That's but correct. What, once you see the evidence, you accept it. That's the point, right? <laughs> Michael Shermer, for instance, I asked him, I was like, well, what about these kids who have these memories of past lives? And we're having this email exchange. And I write about this a little bit in the book as well. And, and he says, well, you know, the most famous case is this kid, you know, James Leininger. Um, and that's probably the most well-known case, certainly here in America. And he went through the, the very, the talking points that skeptics use for why that is probably nothing. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear. And then I said, well, how about the Ryan Hammonds case, which is uh, we present that case in surviving death. Uh, and if you really look at the evidence in that case, I went down to the University of Virginia. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Tucker on camera about this whole case. Either Dr. Tucker is lying, which he's definitely not, right. or that kid is having memories that are not his. That, those are the only right. two answers. Right. And I, I asked uh, Mr. Shermer about that case. And he was totally unfamiliar with it. So, and then he sent me to a chapter in his book where he thoroughly debunks these children who have these memories. And his thorough debunking is like a paragraph uh, that 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 does not at all. Thorough is absolutely not the correct word. Um, so, and, and and again, he's not even. Um, discussing the best evidence that's out there. You know, he's taking the weaknesses. Always there are weaknesses that you can find, right? But it's about the whole. It's about the thing in total. Um, And he's completely avoiding the stuff that he cannot explain. The stuff that he Mm. cannot explain, he simply leaves out, which is intellectually unfair, I think. Shying away from it. Not only shying away, he doesn't even mention it. You know that. So his debunking consists of trying to explain the stuff that he can explain, and yeah. entirely ignoring that anything else even exists. And that's not uh, honest. That's not intellectually honest. That's correct. I totally agree. And you have to be as honest as you possibly can when when researching this kind of subject. Yeah, you have. You have. Yeah, you have to be open to the evidence that's out there. You can't just say, you can't pick and choose the evidence that you want. That's right. That's right. You can't do that. Yeah, you can't cherry pick. If information comes in, that means that your equation is wrong. It doesn't mean that the thing that came in is ignored. It means that you have to now adjust your equation to fit the new observation. Thank you. That's correct. Absolutely. I just wanted to rem- just want to remind our viewers and our listeners, you can call in right now if you would like to ask Mike a question or if you've had uh, 
communication from a loved one who you've lost, uh, whether it's switching on of lights, leaving you feathers, pennies, sending you butterflies, dragonflies, you name it. We're here to listen. And that number is 855-472-5483. And once again, that number is 855-472-5483. And I'm sure you've heard about this, Mike. Uh, Robert Bigelow has a new venture uh, to study the survival of consciousness um, of after death, I should say. And uh, he set up this competition with quite a big uh, monetary payout for the best evidence of survival of consciousness. Now, I was going to enter my information in the competition, but you can't submit evidence if it's already been out there in the public eye, um, which I was a little bit bummed about because I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've played the EVPs. I've got the book out there with information. Um, and obviously you couldn't be involved with it because of your book, right? Uh, I, I think I could have been, uh, you know, Le- Leslie is a good friend of Robert Bigelow and she mentioned it to me that he was holding this contest, which I'm so excited about. I can't wait to see what shakes out from this whole thing. But I just felt like there are, <clears throat> there's much, there are people who are real scientists out there that have, uh, real evidence. Uh, and I felt like my work is so, um, casual compared to some of the stuff that's out there. So, uh, yeah, I did not apply, but uh, you know, I probably should have just, well, yeah, I mean, I would have done it had I have known that we could, you know, have done it. But it's, uh, you know, it's going to be intriguing to see the best evidence. That can't is, wait. Oh, I, can't, I wait. can't wait. I'm so excited to see who's got what. I don't know how they're going to do it. But yeah, um, we do have a caller on the line here. I'm going to add uh, Bill, my uh, my uh, my producer. And uh, we have Ronald on the call. And so I think that... Uh, my producer is going to connect him for us. And I believe it's, uh, he is, he is on. So uh, can you hear us, Ronald? I can hear you. Yeah. He can hear us. Do you have a story to share or do you have a question for Mike? Um, I, I, um, my mom passed in, uh, February 1st. Um, and, um, I always feel as though she's with me. I don't know if that's something or not. Um, I I go a day. No, there's not a day that I go that I don't remember uh, her as being my mom, if you know what I mean. Um, I um, always have good memories of her. Um, I had this unrelated knife that I had in a silverware drawer that would always wind up in a weird position either you know like straight up and down you know on the on the edge you know instead of laying on the side or it, mm-hmm. it, it would be moved from one counter to the next counter which is no way that it could be moved now she had no connection to the knife the only thing is that uh, maybe she was just trying to tell me that she was there you know um uh, so. what what, no, what what do you what do you think mike on that yeah, I think, um, you know, 
I think that the ability to communicate from the other side is, is sort of a skill. Uh, and I think it's something we kind of have to, to, to learn. And I think some people are better at it than other people. I think my dad, you know, it might be like on this yeah. side, some people can throw a 95 mile an hour fastball and some people like me <laughs> cannot. And I think my dad happens to be extraordinarily good at communicating uh, in these multiple different ways. And yet for someone, you know, maybe moving a, a fork or a knife or something like that, you know, that's the thing they've realized they can do right now. Uh, so, it, you know, there, there's the potential for, um, you know, we, nothing, nothing can be ruled out. Uh, and, and if you know uh, that you did not move that utensil and, and if there's no one in your house that did, maybe that could very well be a, a, a little wink, a little right. hello from your mom. Sure. Mm-hmm. What do you well, think I about wanna, that I one? Say thank you. And yeah, I want to say, I just want to say thank you, Tracy, for your show. Thank you, Mike, for all of your hard work that you're doing with everything. And, um, you know, made me more of a believer than what I already have been. Um, I've never been afraid of death personally. I've always known that there's something else besides this uh, 75 or 100 years we have. I know that there is more, you know. Uh, there's more before mm-hmm. we get here. There's more after we leave. So, oh, um, that sure is. Not afraid of it. You know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to step through and go on and move on. And um, of course, we we miss her loved ones, miss, miss her family members that we have that passed on. But we gotta remember they're they're waiting for us to get there. Okay. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, well, thank, thank you, you for you your again. call, Ronald. Yep. Thank you for your story. Yep. And uh, thank you for calling us here tonight on All KGRA. Right. We, we appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good Bye. night to you. Yeah. So there we have it. Um, like I said, uh, the uh, Anna, I think it was in our chat room, who had the spoon that was being bent in the drawer. Right. And uh, there we are with Ronald talking about knives. So, yeah, they can do anything. They can move anything that they wish to. You know, I will say this, uh, Mike. When I spoke to to John Edward, he said to me, one of the easiest ways to connect with a loved one is to actually write them a letter Mm. because they do see it and they do read it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I put it to the test. A couple of days after I'd seen John Edward, I put it to the test and I had a journal on my desk. It was a journal I had bought, oh my gosh, years and years ago. And it's a beautiful journal and I didn't want to use it for just any old thing. So when he was telling me this, I thought about the journal in my head and I thought, I can use that. That's for dad now. Hmm. So I started to write my dad lovely, beautiful letters in there. And um, I can honestly say hand on heart, Within a 24-hour window, my dad flipped the light on to let me know he'd read it and he'd he'd seen it. That's so great. That's so great. You know, uh, someone that we cover in the uh, series, uh, his son passed. And uh, one of the things that he started to do was that. He started to write a letter to his son. And then he noticed after a while, he was like, I wonder if my son can respond. And uh, his son started through through his hand through, you know so he left his own hand on the paper but his son started to write back to him he now believes and there's a whole lot more connected to the story oh. uh that leads us to believe that something genuine is happening there but um yeah uh, there's something called automatic writing 
which is another form of mediumship where the spirit world uh, apparently uh, can take control of, of uh, a hand and, and use it to write. And we have some real extraordinary cases of this. Uh, like for instance, a medium writing with two hands at the same time. Oh boy. Two different spirits, Tracy. There's, I don't know any human brain that's able to do that, you know, and, uh, and the medium, like her head is down on the table. She's, she's passed out on the table and she has two helpers and they're replacing the paper as she gets to the bottom of a page, they replace it. And her hand goes to the next, uh, very quickly. Uh, You know, there, there are some real, there are some extraordinary things out there. People have got some gifts, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They really do. I mean, how the mm-hmm. heck does that work? Uh, unbelievable. Oh, boy. Unbelievable. We have another caller on the line here for us, Mike. Um, Anna from Canada. And uh, let me uh, bring Anna on here. Hello, Anna. Can you hear us? I can. Just to finish the story on the spoon. Oh, I yes. You're the spoon bro- lady. Yes, I called my brother right after I found it and asked him to check his spoon drawers to see if he finds any spoons bent in his drawer. But to carry on with people coming forward and talking too. A friend of mine's son came here to visit me one time, and his mother had given me a beer stein, an Auschweizer, whatever, you know, the beer, the beer, whatever. Anyway, um... She had given me this beer stein in lieu of helping her move. I went to a Christmas party. We go down into a basement, and there's a fellow with a corner cabinet full of beer steins. So I offer him the beer stein, ask if he'd like to buy it off me, because he had a cabinet full and I had one. And luckily, he said, no, thank you. And I went home after the party looked at the beer stein, and the beer stein said, you can't sell that. It belongs to Aunt Mary. Well, Aunt oh, Mary is, is this young lad's great aunt. So wow. the next day, the next day, I'm good friends with Aunt Mary. So I call Aunt Mary, and I said, Aunt Mary, I've got a beer stein here. And I said, I tried to sell it last night. And luckily, the guy said no. And when I come home and looked at it, it said that it belonged to you. Now, her niece had given it to me, remember, in lieu of Mm -hmm. helping Mm -hmm. her move from Aunt Mary's house into town. Right. Now, Aunt Mary was going through chemotherapy and all that stuff. So she was just getting well. And she said, you know, Anna, I think I've got a, a stein like that in the basement. But I can't get down there because I'm not well enough yet. But when I do, I'll call you. So about three weeks later, the phone rings and it's Aunt Mary. Sure enough, that's her beer stein. Oh, okay. Fast forward um, 10 years, maybe more. Michael is is sitting here in my living room visiting. Aunt Mary has passed. His grandfather, who I also knew quite well, have also passed. And the beer stein is still sitting in my china cabinet because Aunt Mary had told me to keep it. 
<laughs> it's safe with you, she said. Just keep it. That's well, amazing. As Michael, and, as Michael and I are sitting chatting, Aunt Mary and Jack come forward and ask me if I would give Michael the beer stein. And I kind of looked at Michael and thought, well, all right, guys, how the hell am I going to tell him this without think- him thinking I'm retarded? <laughs> so I just kind of looked at him and I said, Michael, this might sound strange, but I've got Aunt Mary and Grandpa Jack standing here beside me. And they want me to give you this beer stein. And I... I sat there looking at Michael, waiting for his facial expression to, with that, are you loony? But he didn't. (laughs) He looked at me and smiled and said, yes, I'd love that, Beerstein. And as soon as he said yes, Aunt Mary and Grandpa Jack went back to where they were. Mm -hmm. I've also got a necklace that also belongs to Aunt Mary that was also stolen from her that I also have that Michael doesn't know he will also be getting. Oh. I still have Beerstein. He's not going to take it until he is perfectly situated. And he knows mm-hmm. he's safe with me. But yes, I've had right. many people come forward. That's fantastic. I, and how, how does it make you feel, Anna? Um... You are a believer, I take it. Well, well, yeah, because I've been doing this for a long, 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 long time. I have many stories that, like, totally baffle me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And when someone mm-hmm. said, um, how do we get that information and how do we know it? And I've never been able to answer that question. When, Like, I've had people call me a witch, literally oh. a witch, for... Um, telling them things that come true. And I've had people hide their their hands because they don't want me looking at their palms because they're afraid of what I might see or what I might say. I had one girl peach at me in Facebook wanting me to do a palm reading on her. So I immediately messaged back, if there's anything there you don't want me to see, like molestation or anything like that that you find personal, then you don't want me reading your palm. And you know, she never contacted me again. Oh, okay. Because she did have so, that in her palm. Right. So you have you have these intuitive gifts yourself. Oh, I had to build a wall around it when I was, um, I think I was about 11. Mm-hmm. Because I had met two young lads, three young lads, pardon me, at a friend's house. And on Monday, school morning, they were playing in a sand cliff. And as I was walking by, I'm watching them play. And as an 11-year-old, I don't know why, I walked over to them and told them to stop what they were doing because they were going to die. They were going to get buried in the sand. Yes, and at lunchtime, heading home for lunch, I found out two of the three boys had died in the sand pit. Oh, no. And, of course, I didn't tell a soul. I didn't tell anybody. That scared the hell out of me. So I started building building a wall around 
because that's pretty scary information for an 11-year-old to receive. And, you're, and who do you tell and who's going to believe you? Yeah, right. That's right. That. Yeah. You said that. Wow. Well, thank you for that story, uh, Anna. Um, thank you for calling into us tonight. We we have to let you go, but thank you so much for for sharing your uh, experiences with us. We appreciate that. Right on. If you want to hear more, I've got many that will baffle you. Oh, I'm sure you have. Could you <laughs> could you call us back at another time, maybe? <laughs> oh, I can. Bill's got my my cues. Okay. Well, we appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much, Anna. All right. Peace out. Bye-bye. Yes. Have a great evening. Thank you. Wow. So uh, there we have Anna from Canada with with some stories there, with an intuitive ability of what she's experienced. Yeah, I think it's interesting what she said. First of all, poor Aunt Mary. Everyone keeps stealing her stuff, her (laughs) ear stein, her necklace. (laughs) Uh, but something that she said that's interesting is that she felt she had to build this wall around it. And I think that, you know, that might be uh, a bit more common than, than we realize, because again, it's not something that is talked about openly often in our society. And we tell our children, for instance, if they have an imaginary friend, maybe, you know, that that's silly and no, they don't, you know, it, I, um, I've heard from other mediums that it can be very easy for this um, ability to sort of be tamped down. Uh, even by their own parents. Uh, but in the case of the last caller, um, yeah, I can't imagine dealing as an 11 year old with that type of information and it can be frightening. So some people I've also heard that, that the, the fear of the, uh, ability, uh, they end Mm -hmm. up shutting it out themselves. That's right. And this is every reason why, you know, people call other people witches and things like this when they have those gifts. Of course, they're yeah. not witches. They just have the ability to do what they do. Right. Um, you know, interestingly, Mike, uh, before we took the two calls there, you, we, were, we were talking, you were talking to me and I saw behind you a piece of paper. It looked like paper that just drifted off from behind you onto the floor. Really? Yeah, on your opposite side. And I wondered if your cat was up there doing something naughty, something that he shouldn't be doing. But no, I didn't see any cat. But I saw some paper drift down. Something drifted onto the floor. And I wondered, huh, huh I just wonder if maybe your I'll dad... I'll have to watch that back. It yeah. could be. Yeah. It could be. So... Uh, it- I just had to get that in there. Uh, yeah. In a previous interview, he turned off a light uh, in the middle of the interview for, for no reason. So Did he? Uh, he, ha- he has a little bit of a history of something that could have been him. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. Uh, what is your belief about ghosts? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there are so many anecdotal, so much anecdotal evidence, you know, and people don't like using the word anecdote and evidence together. But in my opinion, if, you know, we use people as witnesses in the courts of law all the time, right? We use uh, eyewitness testimony all the time to convict people of crimes. I don't see why we should rule out eyewitness testimony uh, in cases of Uh, science and trying to understand how the universe works. And there's so much anecdotal evidence that ghosts are an actual phenomenon that sometimes happens. Now, uh, the word ghosts, of course, what exactly does that mean? I, you know, I don't know. But something happening that science cannot explain in people's houses, I think there's ample evidence for that. I have to agree. And I've seen a ghost myself. Um, I was with someone when I actually saw that. Um, And it happened to be headless. 
Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. Um, too long of a story to go into uh, now as we're... You was know, it on a horse? Was it riding a horse? Actually, no. No, oh, okay. this this was inside the Guildhall School of Music and Drama where I was I was uh, studying. And um, I'll, I'll tell the story, story real quick, if you like. Um, we were... Uh, there was myself, there was my best friend. We have three minutes left of the show, so i got to wrap this up really okay. fast. Um, we were musicians at the Guildhall School. My best friend was a guitarist. We had uh, a couple of friends that were also musicians um, that... Uh, played various instruments. One of them named Gary uh, did hypnosis as a side interest. And he said to me and my best friend at the time, uh, why don't I demonstrate this to you? Uh, we'll go into the one of the rooms at the Guildhall School and I'll demonstrate with our friend Howard. And we did that. So all four of us went along. Great big room, no windows in the room, velvet curtains hung from the ceiling right down to the floor uh, to muffle the sound of people practicing. There was a grand piano in there. There was a harpsichord. There was a wall of mirror so that the opera singers could see themselves singing and practicing. A row of chairs was in front of that mirror. And then there was a row of chairs along the opposite wall where myself and my best friend sat and a row of chairs along the other wall. And uh, Gary is hypnotizing Howard. He's saying, you're under a tree. You, I'm taking you back to when you were five years of age or three years of age. Um, you're going to feel very tired. You're going to go to sleep. He did. Howard fell back. Luckily, Gary caught him just in time and uh, laid him down on the floor. And um, something caught my attention by the mirror, Mike. And I, you know, when you do that double take and you look and you look again, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My mm. heart was pounding out my chest. There was a woman sitting on a chair, uh, dressed in modern day clothes, um, black high heel shoes. She got her hands clasped around her, her knee. Her knee was, you know, got her legs crossed. Her hands were clasped around her knee. She got a black skirt, a white top and a white belt around the waist. And above the shoulders, there was no head. Oh, wow. And get this, there was no reflection in the mirror either. Wow. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it. My heart was yeah. pounding out my chest. Ooh, I'd never I'll seen bet. anything like it. So um, it was incredible. When we got outside, we had to lock up because the caretaker was coming. But my best friend said, uh, he was the first one to say, did anybody see anything in there? And I looked at him <laughs> and we both said, a woman by the mirror. Goodness. So, that would be my last time practicing the harpsichord <laughs> in that room. I'll tell you oh, that. Oh, yes. Wow. That was uh, that was over and done at that point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, incredible story that was. Incredible wow. experience. But uh, we are out of time, Mike. And I want to thank you for being our fabulous guest tonight. It's been wonderful uh, talking to you for these uh, last two hours. I just want to pull up your your book once again, Love From Dad. How my father died, then told me he didn't, and also your uh, your other one, Life at Hamilton, as well. Where can people find your books, Mike? Uh, they're both on Amazon.com uh, or at my website, MikeAnthony.com. Okay, Mike, and we just put it up there on the on the screen. Um, I hope communication with your dad still continues as it does for me to this day. Yeah, uh, yes. we'd love to have you back on and, and talk more about that. Anytime. Well, thank you, Mike. We appreciate that. And um, I just want to thank all of our listeners, our viewers tonight. Thank you for tuning in every week as you do. We really appreciate that. We couldn't do the show without you. And, of course, to my producer, Bill Skywatcher, for doing an awesome job, as he does every week. Um, check out Mike's website, mikeanthony.com. And uh, check out 
my shows on uh, the YouTube channel, Tracy, the Tracy Austin Show. Catch me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, you know, you never know what's going what's gonna to happen, what's around the corner. Um, so I always like to say, do keep an open heart and an open mind. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>